We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid on Make Time for This, proudly part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we are going to talk about Bo's Afraid, the latest film from Ari Aster, along with Aster's previous work, Hereditary, Midsommar, and I think also some talk about some of his short films before he got the chance to make features. It's going to be a weird one. It's going to be a fun one. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to happen, how we're going to work it all out. If you've seen Bo, you'll probably have a good sense of why that is. If you haven't, hopefully we'll give you some idea of it. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, you know, rewatching and then watching for the first time, and then watching some shorts for the first time of Ari Aster from Ari Aster by Ari Aster, however you want to say it, puts a man in an interesting headspace. Um, I wonder what it's like to be him, and as the ideas for inspiration for new films just come to him, rattle off the chamber of his mind. It's a it's a fascinating, brilliant, and terrifying mind, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get myself like in that uh, in that arena so that I can bring my a game to the podcast, and uh, you don't have to uh, hire a lawyer to you know point out all my slights to me. Yeah, you. I mean, this is an interesting podcast for you. We'll get into some of that. You. Uh... You had to do more homework than usual, <laughs> I guess. No, not technically, but it was more arduous homework. Uh, took you a little bit more time. Maybe it took you too much time and then it took even longer is the way we'll put it. We'll get into that. You decided to really kind of make your own Bo is Afraid teamed experience for this episode, which which I appreciate. It's like immersive podcasting for you of some sort. 
Um, honestly, I, th I think it heightened the experience. So we'll get into that at some point. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it did. I feel like most people listening to this podcast, to our podcast, and specifically this episode, they probably know who Ariaster is. Hereditary, not a massive like box office hit, but a film that has certainly lived a very, very long and successful life on streaming and its aftermath and has developed a really significant word of mouth following. Midsommar then got to come out off the back of that and I think have a pretty similar experience and go to live maybe an even richer life on the internet in terms of memes and its its cultural staying power. And so Ari Aster was two for two I think even for people who, if you don't like those films, or if you don't like one or the other, and there certainly exists, no shortage of people who will feel very strongly one way or the other about them. I think it's pretty undeniable that he true two films, he kind of cracked it in terms of, this is a guy who can now get movies made, who has become, again, rightly or wrongly, one of the kind of the golden boys of the upcoming generation of filmmakers, he is the person to me that it feels like Martin Scorsese is most invested in crowning as this is this is the most interesting and inspiring voice in this kind of young wave of filmmakers. There's a lot of parallels. Even particularly maybe in that it doesn't seem the most natural fit or even the most obvious fit for Scorsese to be like, this is my guy. Um, it kind of reminds me in a different way of when he did that in the 90s with Wes Anderson. And Wes Anderson was the filmmaker to emerge from that kind of wave that Scorsese was like, yeah, this is this is almost the, the heir apparent to, to my throne. Ari Aster is the person that he has advocated in that kind of way um, who... I think we're now through the last two movies. Scorsese just comes out with mind-blowing quotes, the kind of quotes that you'd love to have as a director. He's more than happy to go moderate some Q&As or introduce things. There's certainly, I think, a, a relationship has developed there if, when you hear Aster talk about it. But Aster, I think beyond that, I was looking at, uh, I guess we'll talk about the end credits of this film that they they invite the audience to, you know to linger a while, maybe to contemplate what you've just been through. But I mean, one of the names that jumped out to me when we got to Tanks, you had Martin Scorsese, also Paul Thomas Anderson. So Astor has kind of elevated himself to an interesting tier of influence, if nothing else. I think there's a very kind of online awareness through the you know, again, for better or worse, I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but the kind of the A24ification of movie fandom, the kind of young online fan who's very much, I just, I only care about A24 and whatever A24 does is genius. Astor's connection with that studio has certainly not hurt him, um, but he has come to be, I think, the guy. Like, the Daniels, obviously, the success they just had might position them in a way where they could be arguably the faces of what A24 has done in their success. Uh, Robert Eggers was certainly well-positioned, but he went and 
worked at Universal on a much bigger movie on a bigger scale. Didn't necessarily pan out in the way that I think Universal would have wanted. But to me, it feels like Aster, he's all three of his films are have been A24 distributed. He has, a, I believe, a first look deal locked in with A24. So it's very likely that will continue to be the case for a, a long time to come. So of the kind of what were boutique studios, boutique distribution labels to have now become kind of independent powerhouses. I mean, bordering on the closest there has been to Miramax in a long time. You've got a pretty small group of filmmakers who are just, this is where they live. This is where they operate between likes of A24, Neon, companies like that. Astor feels like the guy to me. And I think he feels like someone who, perhaps because he worked in genre and horror is a genre where it it breaks out, it goes wider than I think his interests and his view of the world of cinema probably fits with. I think a lot of average people know his movies and know who he is. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... Going into Bo is Afraid, people like me and and people that just... I think he had settled into something, especially among like horror fans too, that after Hereditary and Midsommar like, uh, thought he was one thing as a director. But to your point, I think those two films got him that name recognition and that if you go to movies with any sort of regularity or you like horror movies or you're like plugged into the 24 scene like you're talking about that yes he is really solidified that with Midsommar the funny thing about this and the conversation we were having uh, before this is I think I'm one of those people who thought he was one thing before seeing Bo is Afraid and now his shorts and now I I'm going to have an entirely new interpretation of what I think the future of his filmmaking looks like. Well, I think he's more versatile than a lot of people probably expected. <laughs> yeah, the people who fair. didn't the people who didn't think he was versatile may not come out of Boa's Afraid with versatility being the thing at the top of their mind. Um I I think there is something distinctly his in terms of tone that will carry true and i think is certainly there in bo's afraid um it's long long since it was uh, working under the title of disappointment boulevard and um, he has been talking about it as a nightmare comedy which i do think is actually a very accurate description as things that directors say about their movies go but I think part of the lesson here is that Ari Aster views genre in a very different way to a lot of people. And more generally, I think he's just kind of over the idea of genre. And that probably is something that starts at Midsommar, or sorry, with Hereditary, which is such a colossal breakout hit. Again, in a cultural sense, not that this is like the number one film at the box office, it's kind of impossible for a film like that to do that, but it was about as successful as anything like that can be. And I guess from there, it's he's the horror guy, and he works again with A24, and he makes a film that is certainly um, certainly not unhorrifying, but 
a film that he has always pushed back to like traditional horror descriptors on with Midsommar. And it still happens and it still goes there. And the more he's pushed back, then the more, I guess, the people who love those movies and are real kind of genre fiends, they've started to feel alienated by his work. And it all kind of leads here, where this is just pure Ariaster and all of his interests, unfiltered up there on screen. And I love that. Before we get into anything related to the movie, I just, I don't know how many filmmakers get that opportunity anymore. I think that's actually quite apparent when you watch Bo's Afraid. It's like, I don't know if I've ever seen a film. <laughs> I ever is wrong, but in certainly in my like core movie going life, which is now, I guess, approaching like, I mean, the serious movie going years of my life. So we'll say approaching 15 years. There hasn't been a whole lot that's come along in that time that is honestly remotely close to this in the same universe in terms of being so packed with ideas, maybe too packed with ideas, so clearly made with endless creative freedom, maybe too much creative freedom, but that it's just, it's there, it's bold, it's striking, it's not kind of disposable um it's also not accessible it's certainly something that you probably have to work to unlock the key of and you've got to quite literally go on the journey with it and be patient and be very open-minded to get to the bottom of it and i think for the way that a24's interests have changed and they've started to make bigger budget films and they've started to do so pretty successfully um, I, everything ever all at once again being the obvious example of that but even something like The Green Knight when we talk about David Lowry as a kind of a leveling up in scope and scale and budget trusting the people who you've had along the journey with you who you really like as filmmakers but being like let's see if we can just go one step further Aster is certainly given that opportunity that freedom and to me, he just cashed in the most unapologetically Ari Aster way possible. And with that, what I'll kick us off by really talking about Bo's Afraid with is. And I want people to take this as a warning. <laughs> if you're not like just, I don't know. If you're not the most open-minded of movie watchers, of cinema goers, if you're not someone who I mean, quite literally, is open to anything, and you're willing to fire up a movie and say, "Okay, like, what what does this film, what does this filmmaker want to say to me? What, where do they want to take me? How are we going to get there?" This movie is just straight up not for you. If you're going into this with an expectation of either like straightforward horror or scares in a way that you've become accustomed to from Hereditary or Midsommar, you're going to be disappointed. If you've heard Ari Aster talking about this film as a comedy and you've seen some of the trailers and you come in and you're like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to belly laugh for three hours straight, you'll get some belly laughs, but I think you'll be disappointed. Particularly if you're looking for laughs in a very broad sense. Um, I think this is one of the most intentionally alienating films I've ever seen. And 
I honestly I find it fascinating that it's been released as widely as it has been. I'm talking about A24, but outside of the US, the distribution has been was it universal here? I think it is universal. Like you're talking major studios. Blows my mind. And people are seeing Walking in Phoenix, one of the most famous actors on the planet, the Joker. And his new movie's out. And it's from the director of Hereditary, who a lot of people have watched, or which a lot of people have watched. And quite naturally, some of these people have gone and they have been confronted. And confronted, I think, is the way I put it with Bo's Afraid. None of this is specifically tied to my opinion, but I will say even I found it alienating. That does that's not a that's not a turnoff to me. In fact, it's honestly something of the opposite because it's it's different you don't get to see a whole lot of films particularly with the awareness of this is kind of being made and certainly being marketed with the the chance to kind of pull in a broader a more mainstream audience and you're serving them up this i'd love to think we live in a world where a lot of those people have an open mind they're gonna come out of this and just their view on what movies are or can be has changed forever. I think we live in a world that is very, very different to that. We live in a world where it's, that's not for me and I'm out straight away. And with that, I just, I'm honestly a little bit stunned, not in a bad way, from my perspective at least, but for just what this movie is. Yeah, I mean, where do I start? Where do I start here, Adam? Um, I think you had prepared me enough in vague enough ways so that I knew I was walking into something that was not going to be what I've come to expect from the first two Ari Aster films. And I also just think the nature of the trailer and his descriptions going into it. I mean, before I think it was in production, what did he said? It was going to be a four hour nightmare comedy. Like that sets you up to. I think, I think it probably have... was that like as probably recently as December, January. And there were reports that it was four hours and he wasn't budging on it. Um, it may well have been four hours then. I don't know. Yeah. And the experience of watching this is an experience. I had a pretty good room. Uh, it was surprising. Um, I guess I should. I guess I should back up and just yeah, go on to, my you journey. You need to go through. Yes, you need. To. All right. So, as regular listeners will know, sometimes I procrastinate on my homework. Um, and this is the first time that it's really ever caught up with me in a in a way that has made me feel like I need to right the wrong. So originally I thought I was going to get this viewing in down to the wire in terms of its uh, limited but wider release, meaning close to me. I had planned on going to a early afternoon Friday showing uh, a few weeks ago, the same weekend that Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know, turns out they didn't move a lot to Bo is Afraid uh during that week, Adam, so they they gave the room to another uh, Guardian screening. Sure. I'm then looking far and wide 
to figure out where I'm going to see this movie. And uh, I determined that there's one showing, 7 o'clock on Sunday, May 21st, would it have been? So this past Sunday. In Southern Pines, North Carolina, which is about an hour and a half drive away from me, where the golf course Pinehurst is located. So the next time you're watching um, the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, I think in a few years, uh, just be like, yeah, that's that's where Bo is Afraid got watched. I get, I, I, it's a 7 o'clock showtime for a three-hour movie. I don't see well at night. I didn't want to drive back. Uh, I could have, but I was like, you know what? Let's not have me uh, running over squirrels on the highway or something. We, we need to keep things safe. If Ari Aster has taught us anything, it's you know driving at night could be dangerous. That's that's a very good point. I did not have anyone with me that would stick their head out the window, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so I cash in some hotel credit. You know what? If you have a credit card, get something that gets you points for things because you you never know when you'll need them. Check into my residence in. No free ads. Um, do a podcast about the Milwaukee Brewers losing two out of three games to the Tampa Bay Rays. I watch Brooks Kepka win the PGA Championship. Then I make my drive to the quaint Sunrise Theater in downtown Southern Pines, North Carolina. I go up to the ticket booth, and the woman selling tickets goes, "Are you Mister Snyder?" And I go, "Yes." Am I the only one that bought tickets to this? And she goes, "No, there are other people in there." Uh, some people from the play. There had been a play in this room uh, a few hours earlier. So some of the actors just, yeah. So some of the actors just stuck around and, you know, probably got a free screening. And she just goes, no, you're the only one that bought online. So just immediately me coming up to the window. She's like, you're from Caption on Celluloid, right? Um, (laughs) Nevertheless, I uh, make my journey. Um, I eat my cold popcorn. They'd run out of butter. As well, forgot to restock the butter. It happens sometimes. I watched my three-hour journey of Bo is Afraid. My response to Adam in the immediate aftermath is just, sure, why not? That could be a movie. That's something that exists. I go back to my hotel room. I watch the latest episode of Succession, which, scroll back earlier in your feed if you want to hear me, Adam, and Numac talk about Succession. Uh, And then I drive home the whole way trying to process what I just saw. So, if you know anything about this movie, it's about a man that goes on a bit of a journey. Things go awry for him. Uh, so, after that entire experience, I really felt one with Joaquin Phoenix, Bo, and Ari Aster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. That was great, but you're going to have to come back to some of your thoughts on this. I do love, I think it's important people know that you you went on your own odyssey to see this. I think it's just an important lesson generally for the podcast. The one thing that is concerning always with Andrew, I mean, it's a good quality to have, but also it's punishing when you end up staying in a hotel in a town that is not very near where you live. Andrew holds himself to account. No one else would ever have to hold Andrew to account. He's got to hold himself to account that he did here, um, mostly because I'd announced we were doing this episode and said it twice on pod. If that hadn't happened, you know, we probably just said, oh, we'll get to it when it lands on streaming. But we'd committed to it and you weren't breaking the promise. So I tip my hat. I still feel kind of bad. My dread, I saw a preview of this was out later in my part of the world, but I saw it before you and how things transpired. And my level of dread, knowing that you were traveling quite a distance and staying in a hotel, and this is what you were going to be confronted with, was quite high. So I guess to make it, to give you something more well-rounded, how did you find your viewing experience? What was your reaction to seeing Bo's Afraid? So, first of all, I'll say something that I've come around to that I said earlier in the week, I respected the film more than I liked it. But in recalling back to my in-theater experience, I liked it. I liked a puppet master having me on their strings and just being like, this is what I've made for you. Now watch it and watch all of it watch it for three hours like i respected the audacity of what ari aster is doing with this film especially when he knows the he knows the thoughts that that it's got or the anger that it might generate from people that want him to be the horror guy um i think it's like you said very intentionally alienating i mean we've got obviously some uh I mean, the lead performance, let's start there. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in this film, but the character is one of the most irritating characters that you have to spend three hours with all the time. Um, I mean, there's there's like a degree of just like in this movie, like like step the fuck up and deal with your problems and uh, be confident. Like I think is a, a lot of the, the message here. This guy just allows himself to get beat around his, his entire life and he's just this fucking loser 
You you don't think that it's you don't think I it's don't like I don't think that's a, no I don't think there's a message like I don't think there's a message in that way I don't Ari Aster clearly revels in anxiety and I don't know but it might be wrong of me to infer maybe he's quite an anxious person in his own right I I think this is holding a mirror up to experience rather than. Mm. presenting it as a way for an out and i i think the performance is kind of just walking in phoenix like and a, a kind of walking phoenix performance we've seen before um i listened to i would kind of recommend it weird conversation but it is a conversation with walking phoenix which they do not happen very often you have to hear them um on the a24 podcasts ari aster and walking phoenix sat down and talked uh, for a large part mostly about how Joaquin Phoenix just doesn't tell anyone in his life that he's got new movies coming out and certainly doesn't use up the tickets he's given for premieres because he doesn't want people to come and have to tell him they like this movie or really tell him anything about the movie he'd rather just pretend it didn't happen but also they talked a little bit about the shoot and about the process and you get into like <laughs> various anecdotes of like Joaquin Phoenix fainting, just passing out on set one day because, yeah, he's turns out he's pretty into it. To, oh, his hands cut and he needs to make sure he doesn't forget his hands cut and start using it normally. What's the best way to do that? Oh, let's get a load of like tacks and let's wrap them so that they're pressing into his skin at all times so that if he uses the hand, it's going to be very painful. So, I think all of that and kind of the affectations of the character to me feel quite Joaquin Phoenixy. I have to say I didn't find the character irritating just because mm. I was like, it's the character I expect in this kind of world played by Joaquin Phoenix. I'm not saying he's not irritating, but it didn't actually bother me in a way that in a different movie I'd probably be like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. But I I just don't know if Ari Aster is the person who's like grab yourself by the bootstraps and let's just I, let's get I on with this mess... i think it's more of a which there's a we could get into all sorts here in terms of even like one of the interesting things is like what what is this world in the movie like fictional place names but like is it is it our world is it not our world is it present day one of the questions he's been asked, and he's kind of batted away quite a lot, is like, is this is this actual, is it real in the movie? Like, are we just entirely in Bo's head, his anxiety-riddled brain, and Ari Aster has rejected that, so it is certainly a real world that Bo is navigating. I don't know, though. I think that's just... Like, this. this might be... There's a lot of specifics we could talk about and we'll talk about even when we get to other films in his career and things at this point are like running jokes. Like Aster is going to have the kind of the foot fetish thing that has followed Tarantino around for his whole career. Aster already has that with like mutters. And I think it's just going to continue. And I, I actually think in a way like Tarantino, he will just really get a kick out of that. And he's going to lean more and more into it. And every film in his career will probably be about mothers at this point. Now, given what is known about his own life and what he has said himself, of course, we don't know for sure, but we could take him at his word. Doesn't actually seem like he has uh, any kind of issues with his mother or really 
his family. If anything, maybe his mother is the person to, I don't know, credit or blame for the kind of storytelling he's, he, he clearly relishes. And uh, he spoke a lot about her being someone who introduced him to film and to a lot of, I guess, higher brow arty film at a young age. She is a poet and some poems of hers I have seen, mostly through reading profiles of Aster, uh, pretty disturbing poems about family. And Aster's own kind of read and talking about family is just, you know, they've never, never once have I made something and they've questioned me on it or questioned why I did that or really shown any level of, I don't know, resistance or... I guess, a sense of self-preservation, which could be natural given the way he's leaning into subject matter. But with all of that long roundabout way of saying, I I think the thing that really, at this point, might just be one of the predominant things we see throughout all of his movies is this kind of anxiety and this nervous energy. And this film is just like overflowing with it. Interesting. I'm the fact that you said it off the bat though that it's like if it's a movie that should have a clear goal in that sense, because it is very much a journey. I don't know though. I feel Aster probably wants us to to just have to live in that space with that character. Well, I think what's you talk about the world, and I think what this world more than anything is, is you know. The biggest uh, feeling of anxiety that maybe a lot of people get from time to time is they think that the whole world's out to get them, and this is that, the movie. The whole world is out to get Bo. Uh, and whether, like you said, it's what we're seeing are uh, with the way Bo perceives the world or whether this is a real world and these things are actually happening, the whole world is actually out to get Bo in this scenario from his mother to his uh to the junkies hanging out of his <laughs> apartment to random strangers who may seem like uh good Samaritans at one point and something completely different at another point. Uh yeah, so in terms of the, the feeling of an anxiety around that, the only thing that I took away from it is that I don't necessarily think that um I don't know, I I felt like the traits that allow Bo to be kind of pushed around the way he is and sit on this journey i don't think that they're necessarily viewed in a sympathetic light or more so it's just like this is and this is Bo, and here he goes through the world and is just gonna be life's punching bag even by the people that are supposed to love him the most do you not think the movie is painting a picture where that has been done to him, though, quite clearly. Yeah, but I also think uh, that's definitely true with the flashbacks. Like, I, I, view, it... I view him as a sympathetic character, and I think that's what the movie designs. In real life, is he the kind of character that I would be inclined to be overly sympathetic about on the surface level? Absolutely not. Well, I, I think I, that I'm I'm bringing that real-life opinion too much yeah. into this, then, because no, that's how I, I, I felt think that's when fair. I was watching it. In, in in real life, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> the family life, whatever. At a certain point, gotta take control of this yourself, you know? You just gotta gotta make it work. Can't just can't just wallow in this forever. But 
But I, I it think wasn't all bad is, for Bo. <laughs> it wasn't all bad for Bo. Uh, we might get, we might get to that. Maybe it's best if we don't later. Uh, but it wasn't all bad. That is certainly certainly true. Um, it's a to, small window, but <laughs> to paint it, and I mean, it wasn't bad. Very small window, and even that then turned out to be tough. Pretty tough for our guy. Um. To I give thought the it might have been something to boast about, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, to give a very, very brief sketch even of what this movie is. Because I think I could just say some things that happened very early in the film, but I kind of do feel like they're spoilers, as in they're quite impactful if you're in the movie and you don't already know it. So what I will say, and this is largely what comes from um, Astor's short film, Bo, which he rejects the idea that this is adapted from, which is fair because this thing is just such a behemoth. It goes so far beyond any idea that was ever possibly in the mix for Bo the short film. But, but the short film Bo centers around, again, bringing it back to like, Honestly, a fantastic setup for what is a really anxiety-inducing everyday setup that you can put a character in that's going to just fuel all sorts of paranoia, all sorts of fear, which is, Bo wants to go on a trip. He's going to visit his mother. Wakes up late. Hurries around. But to leave his apartment. Suitcase outside the door. He in the door, ready to lock it, forget something, go back inside. By the time he comes back to the door, his luggage is gone, the key is gone. Just great stuff. Honestly, like so, so simple. But I remember even when I watched this short for the first time, which is probably around the time Midsommar was released, just a very effective, <laughs> like everyday normal person yeah that's pretty stressful that's the idea of okay i can't lock the door um look you got to take some jumps at this there's no spare key there's nothing else like that gone but i can't lock the door that's one part of it. then who took the key and why did they take the key why is my luggage gone too oh my god is someone is someone fucking with me is someone gonna break in and murder me in my sleep um, I really think that's such a strong opening. I think for this film, the film evolves in multiple different ways. I think tonally too. The first 30 minutes, we'll say when Bo is in the city, maybe that goes on a little bit longer. I think are honestly pretty flat out hilarious in parts and about as kind of rip-roaring fun in a very, let me be clear, a very, very dark and twisted way, but that I've had at pretty much anything I've seen this year. And from there, Bo has to deal with missing his flight because he can't lock the door because his luggage is gone to, oh no, a bank account is cleared out or frozen and it's how am I going to get there? And he sets off on what is a much more long and arduous journey than he planned. Some details left out there intentionally. What did you think of, I guess, 
we'll call it the first act of the film. The city. Um. Yeah, I think that like, well, heightens real world. Like he lives in the city that every conservative politician says is like the modern American city, with just chaos and violence and everything going out. Where going to get uh, a glass of water, uh, it's just like this Herculean journey. Uh, it's like Indiana Jones, like running to grab whatever kind of bullshit he had to grab in those movies. I'm not a big Indiana Jones fan. Um, the, and then the thing with the the medication, with the always drink with water, so that being this necessary, it's just, it really is just like the everything that can go wrong will go wrong for this guy. Um, and so it does a really good job of establishing that. And then we get just like, obviously the big climax of that scene is terrifying, but also hilarious in its execution and the physicality with which Joaquin Phoenix has to work in in this world is incredible too that's an I guess a part of the performance you were talking about with how taxing some of the later scenes are with Patty Lapone which are also equally incredible in my opinion yeah I was I was a big fan of how this film got segmented into these different worlds and they each had their kind of unique spin and intricacies and just flat out weirdness and somehow that i don't know if that was the weirdest one well it's, it's no, tough they're to... all they're all weird in their own way i mean the progression that is quite clear and quite obvious that the film builds on is a uh... i think it's interesting that you bring up the idea of you know the conservatives made up nightmare of America because there's something at work here under the surface. Certainly maybe under the surface is even the wrong thing. Cause it's there. It's not the subject of the movie by any means, but yeah, you go from this hellscape city where it's all shit and blood and fire and stabbing um, to the white collar suburbs where in a very, and I mean, honestly, the, the influence feels quite clear in a very David Lynch way. There's something quite lynching about the, just peel back the veneer slightly and the white picket fences aren't quite what they seem. And, you know, the people inside with their well-to-do jobs and their their upstanding societal status, not also, all it's cut out to be. I shit you not. And, the, and, the, and this is another tie back to everything's coming for Bo in every direction the brown recluse spider sign uh on his door and then we see the spider in the room when i get to my car the next day there is a black widow spider on my door uh just sitting there so i r.i.p uh killed killed that fella and i was like of course one of the only poisonous spiders in uh north carolina is on my car after having just seen that as just like a representation of the anxiety that's like deep within you, I was like, was it really there? Was it a digital rep- representation of a spider? Who knows? I'm I'm just I mean, not not particularly used to uh poisonous spiders. I'm just impressed that you just being taken out black widows left, right, and center, just like I don't I I never have to deal with oh you know, if if I if I get too close to this spider, things could go poorly. So 
Adam, I love I love nature. I love animals. I've had to cut the head off poisonous snakes to That's keep an true. area safe. Okay. So I, like, I, for, just, I forget about your history. I mean, you are my yeah. You're an outdoors. Yeah, my rural uh, roots uh, are are still down there, despite my librarian-looking face. Yeah, look, I can't argue with any of that. Um, and much like you, Bo is from something of more rural roots, and the film does take us, as I said, from that cityscape to the suburbs, and then ultimately... I guess into the wild as much as anything else into kind of the forest and a much more green world um, before taking him home. Do you want to touch on even if it's I guess for performances which is the standout element of the, the second part of the movie where Bo finds himself in the care of you know, it seemed like a great couple. I mean, how fortunate to have these people taking care of you. Uh, Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, two fantastic actors giving really great performances. Um, And their daughter, who I believe the actress's name is Kylie Rogers, who she's certainly giving a performance too. There's a lot going on there. Um... What a really just, I don't know, incredible nightmarish portion of the film. The other person I want to mention here is uh, Denis Menashe as Jeeves. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk about this at some point soon. I don't think so. Um, unless we do a mid-year podcast, it'll probably be end of year before I talk about this. If not my favorite, my second favorite film of the year so far is... Uh, a Galician, God, what would you call it? Kind of pitch black comedy thriller revenge film called The Beasts, uh, starring Denis Menashe, who, I mean, people may recognize from the works of Wes Anderson. He was in The French Dispatch. Um, great, great actor. Just a weird part for him, like, that when he comes on screen, I'm like, that really looks like Denis Menashe. Like, no, this role can't be. I'm like, it is. Which is honestly something just the casting. I had a similar feeling with the British actress Hayley Squires when she appears later. Um, people might know her from Ken Loach's I, Daniel Blake. Just a really, really great, interesting British actress. Um, being in Ben Wheatley movies, uh, was in Peter Strickland's In Fabric, which I really love, and she was very good in that. Not necessarily someone who is top of mind for casting an American independent film, like the someone like Ari Aster is making for A24. So I guess at that point, just to show, shout out those two casting choices, although this really goes more broadly for the casting in the film. I just, I think it's really kind of impeccably cast in a way that's so interesting because not one of these is like maybe beyond Joaquin Phoenix. Everyone else, you're like this isn't obvious. You could see the way another filmmaker or the casting director they're teamed with would cast a different actor in a very different type and a more kind of traditional clear Hollywood type. 
Aster has leaned into a lot of stage actors, and I think actors who can take on affect very well in films and can certainly produce a level of theatricality. And it starts with Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane. I feel like that's when that level of the film really, really kicks in. And they're great, and I think all around the casting is just exemplary in this film and the performances live up to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's so interesting because they're actors that you say can take on like the character work that they're going to have to like really get themselves into. But also they're actors that an audience could distinctly just point out from something else in their past. Um, Do we go full Bill Simmons on it? There's a lot of that guys in this. Like, yeah, and Richard Kind and Steve McKinley Henderson are certainly that for maybe people who aren't like really hardcore movie or TV fans. Chances are you've still seen those guys in at least one thing, and are like, oh, it's that guy from. And and in this case, like, it's something that could be distracting for people that let that bother them too much or get into their heads as they're watching this, but instead they just all give such great performances. I'd forgotten uh, I'd forgotten the Wes Anderson thing um, for Denis Minoche, but uh, I, he's in one of my favorite scenes in a Tarantino movie as well and in Glorious yes, Bastards. Um, and, <laughs> and, and he brings a commitment to this role that just really works and is both played for last but also kind of terrifying at times and like you said just the the, the surveilled white collar just everything's a little too glossy and but you can still see the the cracks beyond the surface like the obsession with the son who died in war and how Nathan Lane's character is putting on a veneer of being the everybody's dad uh knighting shining armor doctor but we know there's some kind of creep beyond the surface that's completely manipulative of his entire family uh and the scene with the paint and all that just like i don't know uh, it's like watching a like a a a oil painting of like a house with a white picket fence just get completely ripped apart (laughs) taken off the wall and set on fire and again, I see I've only seen this film once in part because it's very long. And <laughs> uh, I'm honestly, I mean, will I see it again before it's probably like out on Blu-ray or something? I don't know, probably not. I will I will be excited to do that then. And once I've done that once, will I want to watch it again for like X number of years? Probably not. That you're bringing back to my mind, though, the the whole military element of that is also interesting in terms of, I think, some of the politics that are maybe at play here. And if you wanted to make wider allegories there, starting from where we do and honestly, how the whole thing progresses, maybe if there is something to be said, there is kind of that undercurrent is probably the wrong word because it is there. But there is certainly something interesting about how and what a lot of the, I guess, villains of this piece revere, um, and the kind of the stereotypes they fit. Not in a way that's heavy-handed, or that's like that is played as the predominant thing. In a way where I just think Aster's characters are often just kind of like 
interestingly malevolent. Like I, I think this even happens in Midsommar when you think of all of the guys in that group like going to do their research or whatever. They're all in their own way. Like they're perfectly fine. If you just meet these people on any occasion, like, oh yeah, he's a pretty nice guy, he's fine. But they're all assholes too. And it's like there's that just kind of runs through his characters. Everyone is an asshole in some way in I feel like the world of Ariaster films. And I, I think the ways that that tends to be magnified in this film are kind of interesting. If we were to take a, a wider cultural or political read maybe of, of what it's doing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm no, just trying I really to think. Ha- I, was, I was grasping at straws to add on to the uh, I'd really hate to be in like a blunt circle with Will Poulter's character from Midsommar. Just seems like a real tough hang. <laughs> that's that's definitely true. Um, Although Will Poulter seems like a lovely guy. though. I'm now reaching a point where this film only grows $10 million. I'm like, do we spoil this? How far do we, how far do we go and what's to come? I would say, uh, that's actually a really tough question, Adam, because it's also kind of like, what, what does no, it mean to spoil Bo's Afraid? It's not on video on demand is my big issue because I would hope that people would get to this point in the episode and be like, all right, I've got three hours of my day uh, wide open and we'll go watch it. But maybe you know we what? should spoil I, it. I, I think we'll we'll leave it for the most part. There, I, there might be something like, I think there's a couple of things near the end of the film that are pretty difficult not to address. Uh, <laughs> maybe even when we talk about some of his shorts and some of the things that are I just really like Ari Aster's preoccupations in ways that maybe didn't come to the surface before this movie, but at this point, I think people need to buckle up for what. The one in my attic is actually a really nice guy. We play <laughs> poker on <laughs> Thursdays and go to breweries sometimes. You know, that's one thing I want to do now. Did you Did you notice all of the references to his own films? Was that something that like was lighting up in your head while you were watching it because all of the attic stuff and all of the framing towards the attic like I'm like he's doing hereditary like this is so knowing and there is also a sequence where someone falls from a great height and just basically splats their skull on the ground and you're like he's playing the hits but he's doing it in this way where he knows this film like it that that was so interesting to me because again I feel like he is quite literally flipping off all the people who love those films who have stumbled in here and he's like oh you love those films but you don't like this cross of Roy Anderson Bergman Jacques Tati and Albert Brooks it's like oh then if you don't like that you're not cool with me and it's just I I found that to be really interesting for someone like it's only his third feature film and two of the most like maybe the two most most iconic probably not because Midsommar maybe it's the bear it's probably the bear I think the bear is the thing that's kind of won out in the meme sense at least but two just truly iconic scenes 
that maybe fit most neatly into the genre elements that this breaks from. And he was like referencing them. And there were more that I'm now kind of blanking on too, but I was like, it just, it, there's so much intent to kind of be like, I don't know, screw you to the audience. Um, which is a bold strategy, Andrew. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it doesn't bother me because I do have an interest that goes beyond his initial two movies. But I'm also not naive. And I know most people who saw and liked those first two movies probably did not have interest beyond that. There's He did a really good interview. I believe it was a reverse shot. And I heard Adam Naiman talk about this as well. I went and read it, but I heard Adam Naiman talk about it on the big picture. It was where I first came across it, which I think is a really just kind of interesting framing for this film and for Aster making this film and making it this way, which is he talked about how he goes on Twitter and he sees all of these people who share all of the same interests as him, like all of the same kinds of movies he does, and yet they all absolutely hate his guts and think he's the worst thing to ever happen to film. And it's kind of this I don't know, this uh dichotomy of him being someone who likes i don't want to make it be like really radical like it's he's not into incredibly weird avant-garde stuff he likes a lot of the absolute classic filmmakers um certainly skews a certain way but whenever he has to list his own favorite films like it's not crazy it's not that unconventional i just think with that though like there's clearly part of this where he became like the anointed person for A24 and who all the normies were going to see hereditary and loving hereditary and all of a sudden there's a certain kind of person and I think if Ari Aster was honest with himself on this, yeah, I think he'd probably hate Ari Aster in terms of how his career has developed and with that this kind of felt like something of a reclamation particularly because I think the things he's talked about as his interests his inspirations even in a like a cinematic sense oh they're they're right up front like very hard to deny in a way that hasn't necessarily always been true of his previous two films where for example like i don't know i could put you on the spot and you might get it i won't in case you don't it wouldn't be good podcasting but i think if we were to talk about what's the thing that when people talked about midsummer when midsummer came out what was the film that constantly was getting name checked it was it was uh, the wicker man yeah yeah yeah. at no point was Ari Aster like this is my version of the wicker man you know it was something that other people were putting on to his version his world that he'd created this to me is like a really clear reclamation of that where I just think those easter eggs it's like yeah that's me but also Oh, you came for that? Well, here it is. And here's everything else you got to put up with amongst that. Which is just kind of... I don't know. Maybe it says something bad about me, but that endears him to me even more. Although I don't think it's necessarily very smart in terms of a career move or a chance for him to just continue making stuff as weird as this at the same time. Like, this is not a film. It's three hours long. And word of mouth was not going to be good. So box office, you're not going to expect it to be booming. But as I said, $10 million, this is not Hereditary or Midsommar. It's, uh, 
I will. I rewatched these in an unhinged way. I watched Midsummer last week, then watched Bo's Afraid, then I watched Hereditary. Yesterday was it? I don't know. My brain's fried. Um, and so I was Leo pointing at the TV screen during Hereditary, remembering Bo is Afraid, and uh, Chloe Lister Jones bringing down the attic stairs. Um, so I had the the reverse realization there. Um, it's funny because all the things that I ranted about Bo being irritating and his anxieties and all that in the beginning are um like the parts of myself I try to kill so I too admire Ari Aster for coming into this film and just giving the middle finger to anyone that it would apply to and making what he wanted with that what would you call it? Contempt of your audience? Like, what? what is it? I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I guess where I come at from this, which <laughs> it's maybe like the most like the most kind of I don't know, just like curiously open-minded, open-hearted part of me is the fact that I will I will watch any film by any filmmaker, I will not judge filmmaker X because he's now making this kind of. We had this kind of conversation with David Lowry, and he's actually managed to navigate that in a really interesting way. Maybe in part because, like, the extremes were always so clear. Like, a ghost story wasn't the film bringing in the big audience, and then he went to Disney. It's like. <laughs> He was doing the Disney thing and then he was making the complete polar opposite where it's just kind of those two tracks never, never risked meeting where Hereditary just brings in this swarm. And I don't know that it's clearly a good thing. Like he's talked about Bo's Afraid, a version of this was the first thing he wanted to make. And it would have been on a much smaller scale and it wouldn't have been as good, but it's what he wanted to make just couldn't get it made off the bat and I think there's no doubt that that's a good thing I think if he makes this and he certainly makes a lesser version of it as his first movie oh good luck I mean <laughs> I don't I don't know where the funding is coming from for the second movie or I say that maybe I'm wrong like maybe that is the vision the truest vision of Ari Aster kind of independent artist who all of the people he wants to embrace him are embracing him it's just it's it, I find find it a really interesting choice, and again, it's just because I don't think there are too many filmmakers who was would do that. I can't think of too many working filmmakers, and again, he's early in his career. This is not like someone being like, "Yeah, fuck the haters." Twelve films in, when he's just clearly this is his whole thing at this point. So I got a kick out of it. Yeah, that's that's an approach uh, I want to take to podcasting internally, like not outwardly. I'll never show contempt for anyone, but if someone takes issue with something I say, I want to internally respond the way Ari Aster responds in putting a film uh, out for wide release for three hours in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina. Of the sections, I think we're probably not going to talk a whole lot about. There's some really... uh, there's an incredible animated sequence. I don't think it's a spoiler at this point. There are snippets of it in the trailer, and it's been talking about talked about a pretty significant length. Um, 
formally he does a lot of very interesting things and plays around and makes use of i guess the the greater tools at his disposal with the 35 million dollar budget and i I think that pays off again in a way that maybe with a different type of story and something more focused, we see it really pay off in a bigger way down the line. But it to me, it felt like a refinement of its style that makes a lot of sense. Um, also goes back to his roots somewhat. We'll talk about some other Ari Aster things in just a moment. For people who have seen this film, The thing in the attic. The scene in the attic. I don't know, man. <laughs> I just... I I don't know. I mean... It's funny. It is, it is horrifying. In a, in a way, for sure. Um, it's surprising. Just in a million years at that point. With everything the film had led up to. If you were like... What are we going to see now? I would not have guessed what I was going to see. And you know what? I should have. Because I've watched, you know, some Ari Aster short films that I believe you haven't seen. I think most people probably haven't seen. Um, The Turtle's Head being one that certainly jumps out. Uh, Is it Tino's Dick Fart? That's the other one, Tino's Dick Fart really works, I think that one's called. That is... <laughs> I just don't know what to say about that. Um, but it points to a, clearly a preoccupation or an interest, but also like a certain kind of a comedic sensibility that is in there that I will be upfront with. I do not mesh with. Like, if Ari Aster makes a movie down the line that is just going to be completely along that kind of vein of humor, which to me does seem not completely impossible, he seems to have a passion for it, that could bring in a broader audience too. Um, but yeah, just... Like, for the whole... I don't know. The, it's not like the film isn't crazy. But for all its scope, there's like a kind of... There's a grandeur to it. Not many filmmakers could do this. And then again, maybe it's just the two fingers to everyone. Incredibly bold, which makes it work for me. I don't think, like I've said it, I do like this film. I don't know if anyone can love this film. Like, usually in a movie, you go, oh, you know, it's a bit of a love it or hate it. I think this might be a like it or hate it. I, I really, I haven't heard someone just like completely be like, this is the film that's changed my life. I don't know who that would be or if I'd want to meet that person. But I do really like what is going on here, even if I think it all doesn't necessarily come together to be the most coherent whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, the attic. Um, that that was a point in the movie where I was just like, I'm not even gonna try and guess what you want me to take away from this because I, I don't I don't know what the point was other than a shocking sight gag and chaos. And you know what? Again, like you said, if it's the two middle fingers, then rock on, man. Do do, do what you're doing. 
I cannot wait to see what Ari Aster does next. I think in part because I really have no idea. And when I say that, like I mean it in a truly unpredictable and provocative and surprising way. Not just, oh, I don't know what that director is going to do next. It's like, no, I really, I have no idea. I probably don't want to know. But I'll, I think, just continually be very curious as to what Ari Aster is doing. What his mind is <laughs> going through. Um, let's wrap up by looking back a little bit. We both rewatched the two previous features for this, Hereditary and Midsommar. I rewatched all of the short shorts. You watched, it seems like, most of them. Um, I think it's probably only like three of them you haven't seen now. And honestly, you maybe don't need to see two of those. Um... I had an interesting experience revisiting. Something that I guess wasn't surprising to me is that I found Midsommar to be even better than I remembered or really loved it more than I'd ever loved it before. And I had really loved that movie. It it lives in my head every day to this day. I'll find myself just like humming the score to myself or something or images from it will just be there in a way that I don't know, people often talk about for movies. That's one that that's just very real for me. Not a very long movie. A movie that before rewatching, I had for whatever, I think just because I love it so much, I got in my head that, yeah, I like not forgetting any of the stuff that happened, but also being like, it's not that intense, really. And then I watched True and I'm like, no, this is a deeply, deeply intense and exhausting experience, but also one that I, I really quite love. Um, I had the coolest reaction I've had yet to Hereditary, though. And in part, that's probably because it's like the fifth time I've seen it, and it might just be a film being it being the one in his filmography that is just it is horror. There is no denying it is horror, and when you know where to look in certain shots or what's going to happen. Because it's certainly a film that has a lot of impact for first time viewing. I guess it gradually is going to wane and wane over time. I'm not saying it's bad. Just didn't like didn't do it. It didn't work on me. It's the first time I watched it where I was like I wasn't scared. Like I didn't feel really any of what well, I kind of certainly the first time I saw it. I can't remove that. I remember that experience. I think that's a pretty important part of factoring in what it is as a movie. But what struck me in watching it, particularly having seen Bo and also having revisited his shorts, I know it's a film that he has kind of talked publicly about not being crazy about to some extent. I don't know. You could take this with a pinch of salt. I guess it's it's like Robert Eggers and The Witch where Robert Eggers is like, oh, The Witch is terrible. Like, it's it's something that these guys can at times just be like, in a way that I also I understand, I guess, if you get a chance to make movies, your first film is unlikely to be the one that you feel is the most perfect of the bunch. It does not feel like it's shorts. It does not feel like this style is slightly different. There are elements of it that carry true, but there are shot choices there that would not make it into one of his movies now. That honestly, on a kind of progression sense, were maybe a little bit weird then. And they haven't quite been there in Midsommar and certainly aren't there in Bo's Afraid. 
So I thought that was interesting. I think when you go back to his shorts, a lot of people may know, have seen the strange thing about the Johnsons, a very buzzy, controversial short that really put Astor on the map. It was his his grad film coming out of the AFI Conservatory, which in its own right, you know, I had to make a short uh, in graduating a media program at one point. At no point did I ever consider Andrew, maybe I should make this about like an incestuous family. Uh, it was never, honestly, never. And I, even when I say that, like that, that paints a starker reality than what we're seeing here in terms of tone and style. Incredibly bold move, very interesting filmmaking. And I guess most importantly, it made a lot of buzz where he became someone on the map. The two shorts that I like the most of his, though, are basically in Say La Vie, which have a very similar lead character. Basically, just it's one nonstop monologue, direct camera. And you've got all of this incredibly striking framing, all of these really distinct ideas for composition pulled straight from Roy Anderson. Like, this is where it is most apparent that Roy Anderson is one of his heroes. And I think the the feature that he's finally brought in a lot of Roy Anderson in a way that feels very tangible is definitely Bo's Afraid. But there's something about those two films that feels a lot more true to Bo's Afraid. And I'm starting to feel like it's more true to Ari Aster is and the films he might like to make. I would not be opposed to making things more in the vein of those two films. I just wonder, is it possible for him to do something like that without it becoming Bo's Afraid to some extent too. Um, but I don't I this I was re-watching all these shorts. I'm curious as to your thoughts. You were seeing them for the first time. Um, how do you position them within your idea of who Ari Aster is and what kind of filmmaker he, he will be? Yeah, Say La Vie reminded me, obviously, of the first segment of the film we talked about pretty explicitly and <laughs> so does Bo because it's literally uh uh Bo's raid is taking from Bo for some of that early um I guess plotting we'll call it uh and then basically I think really feels tonally a lot like the second segment we talked about with the Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan portion Rachel Brosnan is incredible in it and as she's delivering these uh monologues about her privileged life um yeah and the tones of the various shorts and Bo is afraid definitely differ from hereditary i i still like hereditary i watched it this week as well but i do too to be clear on that yeah 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 it's just something that loses the luster when you know exactly what's going to happen because i think the first time you see that movie you're shocked and repulsed to a degree and that shock is key to that experience i think and after a while it's just not going to have the same same impact i don't feel the same about midsummer i think it lands just as well every time i think obviously that that was the moment where i don't know maybe maybe there's something before this but you you're just watching that going florence Pugh is a superstar and uh like if she I don't think she has to work with Zach Braff anymore, so that's good that that won't derail some of the things that she gets to be in. Um, 
the casting in that um, film is great too, with Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, and William Jackson Harper just being the uh, pretentious. I guess are they grad students? Yeah, because they're doing a thesis. Um, pretentious grad students who are uh, uh, bringing their um, judgmental American ideologies to this. Uh, uh, they're not a pagan cult, are they? I can't remember what they are, but and it's I don't know, like like you said, the the score and and some of the the moments that have now become memeable. Uh, and will exist until the day the internet dies. Uh, Florence Pugh walking uh, <laughs> while crying, uh, which is how I walk to the fridge to grab another beer when the Brewers uh, lose a close baseball game. Uh, yeah, but yeah, to the long-winded way of saying, like, Hereditary and Midsommar, to agree, definitely do not feel like Bo is afraid, and they definitely do not feel like he's short. And... I wonder what's going to happen with him in terms of the budgets he has to work with moving forward after the expected probably happened with Bo is afraid. Is that something where, okay, um, you have to peel it back a little bit is uh, you said it's a first look deal with a 24. So yeah, presumably I, I think he's good for business because he has a name at this point. And I think a 24, the more they resemble a traditional studio, there will be certain filmmakers that they just want to be in business with because reputationally it's good. And I guess beyond kind of the kind of concerns that will be dominant for different kinds of studios where you get things that are just very clearly boldly and even quite coarsely commercial. That's not quite the space they're ever going to be in. And being in school with a, I don't know, an up-and-coming auteur and someone who's just got cultural cachet, but with a younger generation of cinephiles, too. Like, I think that is, that is, I think that's good for business for them. I So I think that will continue to go strong. Like, I don't think Aster is necessarily someone who is going to be like, okay, I got 35 million, now I need 50 million. He does seem like someone who may well just be like, yeah, this is a 15 million dollar movie and that will work out fine. Um, But it's, doesn't always work like that like not every filmmaker goes up and down and for some it kind of you just find your zone eventually and they'll, they'll settle there maybe he is going to be the kind of mid-budget filmmaker that doesn't really exist anymore there are rumblings of two projects um one is in development and it doesn't seem like we'll be next but it's rumored that he has a project called Acting Class in the works, in development, with Emma Stone, Joaquin Phoenix, and Christopher Abbott currently the people who he has in mind for roles. Um, that, I believe, the first kind of rumbling that started from paparazzi photos I remember seeing of Emma Stone and Christopher Abbott out for dinner with Ari Aster, and Emma Stone has indeed been doing, like, she moderated a Q&A with Ari Aster for Bo's Afraid. So that is clearly someone who is in his orbit. They haven't worked together before. Seems like they may in the future. The thing Aster himself, though, I believe, has talked about it is uh, a film called Eddington, which may start shooting this summer, which will again star Joaquin Phoenix. And he has described it as a uh, 
a neo-noir and a noir western um and it's it's a script that he's talked about going back years as it was one of the first projects that he ever kind of had in the mix when he came to hereditary and he was like do i make bow do i make hereditary do i make midsummer the other script that was in the mix going back that early was supposedly eddington um so interesting that he seems to be in the walking phoenix business which is very common for filmmakers who work with walking phoenix that they then kind of decide yeah you know what i'm good i uh i'd rather not work with any other actors anymore i've got walking phoenix and that will do for me i struggle to blame them um James Gray is someone who notably went through a phase like that. Um, Ridley Scott has kind of teamed with Joaquin Phoenix multiple times at this point. PTA, of course, has had multiple films in him. So I don't blame any of those directors. Seems like a good thing if you can get it. If you can get Joaquin Phoenix in your movies, it's going to give you a pretty good chance of making a good film. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix doesn't make too much that is bad and when he does he is really bad in it so it seems like although you know i'll believe it when more official announcements come along that could be kind of what the future looks like for ari aster which again would point to him doing things that are different to what he's done before but possibly closer in spirit to bow than to hereditary or Midsommar. Are you signed up? Have we got Are you interested? I'm I'm interested in anything that he does, uh, just because of uh, having guys that'll just do whatever their unique vision for whatever they're working on at the time is is a good thing. And uh, yeah, I mean. We lament the state of movies and cinema and what the theater going experience is and just the homogenized nature of modern popular entertainment and people that buck that trend and can make a name for themselves being as uncompromising as you can be in a world where art still has a commercial element, I think is a great thing. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm in for what he's going to do. Like you said, I'll probably watch Bo is Afraid one more time. I'm hoping, 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 hoping we get video on demand when uh, I'm at the beach with my brother in a few weeks and I can just be like, you're watching oh, this. Oh, wow. And we're, and the family's down by the ocean and we're watching this, uh, this journey at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Well, I hope that happens too because I'd love to hear your report back. I guess the one other thing, if people have listened this far, I'd recommend... When you do get to see Bo's Afraid, uh, I think go and do the follow-up stuff because Aster is, Aster is referencing some really great films and filmmakers here. A Serious Man is one of the absolute standouts in terms of, I guess, that whole vibe of the character you were talking about and also the anxiety around the whole world and the film. Very clearly drawn from it. On record as one of his favorites. I believe he voted for it in the Sight and Sound poll. He sure so did. It's, you know, 
one of my favorite films too. I think just completely unimpeachable, a classic. But I has a lot shared DNA. Um, Whip, Bo is Afraid, Albert Brooks, Defending Your Life. Honestly, there's a few Albert Brooks films that I can see kind of slivers of in here, although Albert Brooks has never made anything remotely as fucked up as Bo's Afraid. But Astor talks a lot about how much he loves him. He leans very, very heavily into defending your life towards the back part of this movie. Um, And I think you could probably go with any Roy Anderson. Uh, Honestly, I think maybe... Songs from the Second Floor could be could be the one. I think, again, that might be a favorite of Astor's, but you could go and look at that. I think there's some, some Jacques Tati that is certainly a play in this film. Go watch Playtime. It's never, never a bad reason to watch Playtime, one of the greatest films of all time. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend, like, if if you watch this film and you're curious, but maybe you're also baffled, there might be something more to unlock by looking at the influences. And that mightn't even necessarily be unlocking something in Bo's Afraid, but unlocking something in Aster that, I don't know, the whole stew he puts together becomes somewhat more comprehensible and then might give us all a clearer idea of what we should expect from going forward. All right. I think that just about does it, Andrew. I, w- I wasn't sure what this pod would be, how we'd manage it. I think we got there in the end. Much like Bo. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. Next up will be a pod on the finale of Succession. Uh, I would say expect that middle of next week. Memorial Day, I don't think we'll necessarily be jumping out. And also, crowded, competitive space, Succession podcasting. Look, you can go with all those heavy hitters first. We will be there. We'll be waiting for you. We'll be following up uh, with our thoughts a little bit later in the week. And then past that, I mean, we are full steam ahead into June, July blockbuster season. And there's some good ones this year. Asteroid City will be nearly upon us. Paul Schrader's Master Gardener. That's going to be a pod very soon. Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout, is that what it's called? Dead Reckoning? I can't remember which one. Dead Reckoning is what this one's called, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, something Reckoning. It's not Fallout. Um, no, Fallout was the last one. Um, and it ripped. It ripped. Oppenheimer, Barbie. Look, we're going to be busy. Andrew is going to have to go and see the movies when they're out. But I also think hey, he hey, may- hey, hey. <laughs> he'll, he'll have less, less of an issue with, you know, maybe having to travel 90 minutes to see a lot of the films that are going to be on our radar over the next couple of months. Yeah, I got tickets to see uh, the new Kelly Reichert, the new Paul Schrader. Uh, I'm proud locally of Locally, on Monday, I'm celebrating America and whatever. I don't remember what this holiday is supposed to celebrate uh, by watching movies uh, over in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, much closer to Durham than Southern Pines. Love to hear that. Of course, you should also check out the rest of the GSPM podcasts. The Eurostep Podcast Network main feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. Coaching hires probably going to come pretty soon. Make sure you follow all the episodes in the feed. Eurostep, Win in Six, we'll have it covered. Talk of the Tundra, New Mac and Jordan, I've got everything Green Bay Packers. All covered there. 
if you want more from Andrew and I, you can have it. You will have to listen to us talk about Milwaukee Brewers baseball, though. At the moment, not quite so bad. Things are looking up. They just beat the World Series champions in the series. And Can't the Cardinals much are throwing baseballs that. over the wall against the Reds. Listen, let's not dwell up. on that because this is going to be two days after that. So <laughs> we won't we won't dwell too much on that for the moment. But for all things Brewers, cruising for a bruising, Andrew and I have got you covered. Everything else we do, you can find at gspn.info. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com